journeying through the book of Ephesians for the last number of months, and uh, we're going to camp out on the armor of God for the next uh, foreseeable future here. And, and uh, as, last week, as, I, as we talked about the idea of how do we stand firm in a spiritual battle happening around us that we can't see, I was reminded this week of, uh, I was thinking about where do I see this most active, where have I seen this most, most active in my life and ministry over the last number of years? And, and the first place that came to mind for me was actually in short-term missions trips, where, where over the course of my pastoral career, I've had the opportunity to leave several different international trips in various places. And, and most of the people that came with me on these teams were, were fairly normal people, men and women, young and old, single and married. And after the first couple of years, I started to notice a trend uh, the following year for some of these people on these teams. That for at least one person, uh, after going on these mission trip experiences, had one of some of the most difficult years of their lives, where they were faced with relational, physical, spiritual battles that tested their resolve and commitment to Jesus. The first year that, that I, the first team that I took to, to on a mission trip, they, uh, there was a, ten, uh, a grade 10 girl, a teenage girl, and uh, we got back from, the, from Mexico and and she needed to get some blood work done the following week, and, and it revealed that she had a severe kidney disease. She was, I think, 15, 16 years old. Another, on two different mission trip experiences, two different occasions, there was a married man with two teenage daughters and a, and a married woman, two different occasions, came back from different trips, and their respective spouses declared that year that they wanted a divorce. For the married man, it was the day that he returned back from Mexico. Several young people who seemed so committed to Jesus, but upon returning, walked away from their faith for one reason or another the following year. And it seemed to me that, that on the outside, everything, God seemed to be working in those people's lives, that God, they were learning and they were growing and, and they were being transformed by the Holy Spirit. But as a result of what God was doing, Satan was working double time. He was working harder than ever to try to disrupt the good work that God was doing in their lives. And each one of these people had their worlds rocked because of devastating circumstances. Their lives were turned completely upside down. And these experiences forced them to, to question so much of what Scripture has to say. And for many of them, they struggled with how do they fit these experiences into the teachings that they see in the Bible. You know, Scripture like, never will I leave you nor forsake you. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. But Satan used each of their, these people's circumstances as opportunities to warp and twist their understanding of this truth to the point that they concluded that these, these declarations of God's faithfulness must inevitably be a lie. And that's where the rub is, isn't it? Because sometimes there's friction and tension when life doesn't always seem consistent with what we read in the truth of Scripture. After all, if God pr promises to prosper me, why does this happen to me? Why is this bad thing happening? If God hasn't abandoned me, then why do I feel so alone? And Satan uses our circumstances and feelings to disrupt or destabilize the foundation of truth that truth is intended to create. And that's what Jesus is referring to here in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27, where he concludes his, this, this Sermon on the Mount with these words, 
This is Matthew 7, 24 to 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, contextually, the people listening to this story in Palestine would have known and understood exactly what Jesus was talking about here. Where houses that, that looked secure in dry weather, that they can be sometimes anything but secure when the storm comes. See, once the rain comes in Palestine, it can, it can turn those dry valleys into raging rivers in a matter of minutes. And it's only these storms that really reveal the quality of the foundation that was built. Some of us know the reality of that truth too, don't we? Like the storm we had just in June where it caused just over a billion dollars in damage here in Calgary. The day after that storm, I, I went down the street behind a church here and I went door to door to each of those, each of those houses just to see if there was anything that we could do as neighbors, if there's any way we could help. I had a few people in the church had told me that there was some neighbors that had flooded and so wanted to check up on them. And so I, I sat with one Chinese man in his home. He barely spoke a word of English. But he told me that he had to call the fire department to pump water out of his basement. It was flooded that quickly and, and that badly. Others, as I, as I visited with each, with each of them, they told me that the foundation of their house was cracked or something was wrong with the foundation and it flooded their basement so quickly. And over half of the homes behind our church were flooded during that storm. See, storms reveal the quality of the foundation, both in architecture and in life. Jesus, though, tells us that anyone who hears his words and puts them into practice is a wise man. Jesus is saying, build your foundation on the truth of his word. Now, the struggle, though, is that, often existed through, that often exists throughout history is, is how do we answer that question, what is truth? We read in John chapter 18, even Pontius Pilate, this, this great governor, he asked this critical question, what is truth? Now, admittedly, it's not entirely clear whether he's asking out of genuine interest or sarcastic skepticism, but the question is posed nonetheless, what is truth? Most people would define truth in its truest form as something that's measurable, factual, provable. It's something that's really real. Two plus two equals four. Gravity, we can measure it. We know that that is real, that exists. Yet today, the question of truth has become much harder to define because of much of our thinking and personal philosophy has been influenced by a philosophy called relativism. Relativism was born out of the conclusion that certain truths aren't necessarily black, as black and white as modern thought declared that they were where sometimes maybe our personal experiences might actually help shape our understanding of what truth is. So suddenly different perspectives and opinions make truth a lot more fluid and harder to identify. And truth has suddenly become a lot more gray. 
where truth is no longer fixed. Instead, each person's, each person's life experiences actually shapes their understanding of their own personal truth. That maybe one size doesn't fit all when it comes to truth. Relativism is this idea that there are no absolute or universal truths. Instead, truth is more like a buffet where you can load up on all the good stuff that you want over here and you can forget all this stuff. And truth then becomes all about what you want. And as long as, your, as long as your truth doesn't interfere with my truth, then we won't have any problems and tolerance wins the day. And truth suddenly becomes very subjective and, and experiential. Suddenly truth now is a moving target and, and we all get to decide what the target is. So how do we decide what that target is? That's the big question, isn't it? The problem then with that is that, that if there is no standard for truth, that suddenly now there are 7.6 billion different definitions of potential truths in this world. There's no standard to help us identify truth from opinion or perspective. There's no way to really build a solid foundation then for any of us, according to this philosophy. When the smoke clears up outside, I would encourage you to do this exercise. Go outside with somebody and just and look at the clouds, just, the mat, just look at the different shapes in the clouds and, and tell the person that you're with what you see. And, and just talk about the different designs and shapes that you see in the clouds. And maybe you've done that before. Or maybe you've seen an alligator and, and you say, that looks like an alligator to me. And that per, the person you're with says, no, that looks more like a school bus and and you kind of laugh and chuckle about how you could see things so differently. And then you move on with your lives. But what happens when the alligator isn't a cloud anymore? And instead it's something more significant. What happens when the item at the buffet table is, is one of the big questions like, who is God? Is there a heaven? How do we get there? Is what the Bible says true? How should I live my life? Suddenly, morality becomes a question where we all get to decide what is right and wrong. Where truth is no longer something concrete that people can build a solid foundation on anymore. Where now truth is just a fad or becomes more of a fad rather than a foundation. Instead, subjective truth ends up building a foundation on a perspective or opinion. And we all know that that's a lot more unstable when the storms come. It's like building your life on sand. You see, because what happens when something more seductive and palatable comes our way in our life? What happens when something may pass the eye test, but as we dig a little bit deeper, we discover that that's not all it seems to be? A couple of years ago, I, this would have been four years ago, I think, and I went on a mission trip to, to Mexico. Some of my stories, I was in a very mission-focused mind as I was writing this sermon. There's a lot of illustrations that I have from my mission trip experiences. But this, this, one, this one trip that I did, I, we had spent two weeks in Mexico, and, uh, we, and they had just fed us rice and beans and scrambled eggs the entire time. And it was just exhausting. Like, we just were just so tired of refried beans and rice, and, and we just wanted something that was going to be like meat. Um, and, uh, and so we, so the last night that we were there, we, our, the missionaries that were hosting us, they took us to a buffet. And apparently buffets are part of my illustrations too, apparently. <laughs> um, but they, so they, uh, 
but one of the things I was really looking forward to was the, the ice cream. They had an ice cream dispenser at this particular buffet. And so I was like, okay, forget the beans and the rice and stuff. I'm going for the ice cream. And so I got this, I got this big bowl of ice cream. And then I noticed just to the side of it was just like this trough of whipped cream. And I was like, fantastic. So I, so I like heaped on a mountain of whipped cream and I, and I was getting ready to enjoy this meal. And I was just, just like shaking with excitement to, to dig into this ice cream. And, and imagine my disappointment and disgust when I discovered very quickly that the whipped cream was actually for the whip, was actually for the buns beside it, and it was actually whipped butter. See, there's a lot of imitations of truth that look good, but they, once you be into, once you taste them a little bit, once you get, get exposed to them a little bit more, you realize, oh, that's not as good as it looks to be. Instead, the Bible tells us to look to Jesus instead. Look to Jesus. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Earlier, Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 32, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus isn't simply teaching about concepts and information and good teachings, but he's saying that beyond all of this stuff that I'm presenting to you, people, that he, Jesus, is actually the personification of truth. That truth isn't just an idea that's measurable, that's factual concepts, that truth is a person, that it is Jesus. And these passages tell us that truth isn't just measurable, factual information, but that truth is also a relational experience too. That word know in John chapter 8 verse 32, you will know the truth. In the Greek, it's gnosko. It's a Jewish idiom that, that we see often used in Scripture. And it's meant to describe sexual intimacy. It was meant to represent deep and personal intimacy between two people. So what Jesus is communicating here is that if you and I have a relationship with Jesus, then you and I will have a deep, personal intimacy with truth. So when it comes to those big questions of life and how do we live, that we all have. As followers of Jesus, we don't just know the Bible as a series of good moral teachings, nor do we just study it for historical sake, but the Bible actually becomes a way for us to personally know and share intimacy with the one who is truth. When we have a foundation and in personal intimacy with truth, it helps in the discerning process of, of what is truth and what isn't, and also how we live it out. How does this truth actually begin to impact the way that you and I live our lives? Well, in Ephesians chapter 6, 14, Paul introduces the armor of God and says, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. Now, as we look at Paul's list of the armor within the armor of God, the first thing he starts with in, in the spiritual battle is the belt of truth. It seems, admittedly, it seems unusual to me that when the first thing that you would enter into into a battle is to make sure you pack your belt. Because I think for most of us, as we consider a battle, the belt would not be the first thing on our priority list. Paul, though, says, surround yourself with the belt of truth. Now, when we read belt of truth, Paul isn't just talking about an inch and a half 
strip of leather to accessorize our outfits and hold up our pants. The truth that Paul is talking about here is who Jesus is and what he says he is. The truth that Paul is talking about here is who Jesus is and what and who he says he is. And so we, we gird ourselves with Jesus and what he says he is. It becomes about recognizing and affirming and aligning ourselves with the teachings of Jesus Christ. The belt of truth, though, has multiple functions. It adds stability and power because it supported the core of the soldiers. It wasn't just a tiny little belt. It was actually like a fairly sizable strap around them that, that strengthened, that kept their back straight and kept them secure. Anyone who's had a back injury knows the importance of a strengthened core. And when your core is weak, the rest of you now is too. Because suddenly you're now trying to compensate for the limitations of your weakened core. A few years ago, I put my back out, and, and all the muscles in my back all the, go all the way up along the side of the spines. They just seized up. I could barely walk or move. So maybe some of you have experienced that. Sleeping was, was horrible. Breathing hurt. And I, I just I couldn't do anything. So I went to a physiotherapist, and hopefully he would just say, oh, just go get a couple massages, and, and I could write that off, and that'd be awesome. Instead, he spoke some hard truth to me. He said, your, your core is weak. Especially this, this side of your body, your right-hand side of your body is really weak, and so the other side of your body is trying to compensate, and because of that, you've now injured yourself because each side is trying to compensate for the weakness of your core. So he gave me some stretches and exercises that I could do to strengthen my core. See, when the core is strong and powerful, everything else comes naturally. Everything is so much easier. Everything just functions together well. When the core of truth isn't strong, we are vulnerable. Because now we're trying to compensate for other shortcomings in, within our lives. We're trying to make up for other weaknesses in our lives. And as a result, we risk hurting ourselves further. We become susceptible to other risks. So we may look good on the outside, but that foundation now is weak. The belt of truth actually begins to strengthen us for the fight. See, when the truth of Jesus isn't really a central truth in our lives, something else can captivate our thoughts and lives instead. Suddenly, we aren't able to discern the difference between whipped cream and whipped butter. Something that seems so appealing, but is just a facade of truth. It's harder to identify and discern truth from deception. When we strap truth around us, it's fastened to us. It can't go away. 20 years ago, when I went skydiving, I, I, as, we, as we strapped on our parachutes, it wasn't a question of whether or not we should have the parachutes on to begin with. It wasn't even a question about whether we should check it once or twice or three times. Even after the third time, we were still nervous because it was a matter of life and death. The belt of truth is not an accessory for us. It's not something that we just choose to wear if it matches our outfits or if it's convenient. Jesus isn't just something we add to our plate at the buffet table as long, along with a dozen other things. The belt of truth is a, is a matter of spiritual life and spiritual death, where it becomes the foundation for everything else that we build our life around. Truth actually serves the same function as the foundation of a building. 
It begins to provide the foundation from which we fasten and allow it to view our life and the world around us. Jesus shapes our worldview and how you and I experience it, doesn't he? Now, as I said earlier, that the belt may not be the first article uh, that I would choose in a fight, but our battle isn't against flesh and blood, is it? Our, Our battle is against spiritual forces of darkness that can't stand the truth where the truth is actually our greatest weapon against the devil and his schemes. And the devil can't stand against truth. He and he runs from it. Satan is the master of lies and deception. And he can't stand to be, he can't stand that foundation of truth around us. Another function of the belt of truth actually secures many of the other pieces of armor together and they, and they become one centered around truth. As I was reflecting on, as I was beginning to map out this series of sermons over the next number of months, I began to think, I began to realize there's a lot of overlap between some of these, other, these pieces of armor. That's the way it should be. There should be overlap in armor, right? There shouldn't be any vulnerable gaps in, that's not protecting us, that we want to be protected fully. The pieces of armor begin to overlap in terms of their function. And the belt of truth becomes the fulcrum for other pieces of armor, where the, the breastplate actually begins to fasten to the belt and the sword is attached to the belt as well. Everything centered around the belt as it allows you and I to enter into the battle and, and fight against the lies of half-truths that Satan gets, tries to get you and I to believe in this world. But here's why this is important. Because just like I shared at the beginning of this message, those stories where Satan had, has thrown things at people's lives and, and, they, and if, we aren't fastened, if we haven't fastened truth around us, it's so easy to fall away. It's so easy to get discouraged and defeated and to buy into the lies that Satan tells us. And as much as I hate those stories of people who have walked away from Jesus because of one reason or another, There's also the other side of the spectrum, whose lives have been filled with so much pain and hardship and difficulties, yet they have found hope and encouragement and life and grace through the truth of Jesus Christ. I have friends who've experienced the pain of a heartbreak of a miscarriage, and they were hurting and angry and disappointed. And it would have been a perfect time for them to buy into all the lies that Satan would, that that he throws at them. Instead, they recognize that the truth of who God is doesn't change with our circumstances. The truth of who God is doesn't change with our circumstances. God's truth is consistent always. God is always the same. God doesn't change. And so as a result, they rooted themselves in his love and his comfort, and they found peace there. And instead of walking away from God, they stood firm like Paul calls us to in the truth of who Jesus is. Went to Brazil on a trip to, to on a missions trip to build an orphanage. The missionary there, his name was Ron, and he he and his wife Jeanette had been there for close to thirty years. And uh, and while he was while he was serving in Brazil, he was in a motorcycle accident, and he was paralyzed from the from the legs down. He was a paraplegic, and he traveled in a wheelchair everywhere he went while he was serving in in Brazil. 
That would have been enough for many of us to, to question, why, Jesus, would you put me in this situation? I've been faithful to you, God. I've given you everything. I've sacrificed everything. And this is the hand of cards I've dealt? Ron, though, was secure in the truth of who Jesus is. He was strengthened by God's truth. And he continued to fight with Jesus and to fight against Satan in spite of circumstances that would have devastated so many of us. Young people who, who leaned into God and his truth and pursued ministry despite so many different variables, so many different situations, questions that they may have, circumstances that would have prevented them from doing that, but instead they just deepened their relationship with truth. The truth of God is eternal. It doesn't change, and it is perfect. And there's nothing that changes that. Circumstances may, are not perfect. You and I are not perfect, but God's truth is. And we don't get to pick and choose which parts of Jesus we want to follow. We choose all of him or none. But here's the thing. Knowing Jesus isn't just an intellectual or conceptual truth. It's a truth that is lived out and experienced just as Jesus told us. And the way that we live our lives should reflect the truth at work in each of us. So people who think that truth is subjective. People who think that truth is an opinion. They need to see how Jesus has changed yours and my lives. They need to see how Jesus' truth has impacted and transformed our lives. We can give them lots of information and tell them how Jesus is, but ultimately they're looking to see how Jesus and the Holy Spirit have changed each of us. The world is watching to see how, how God's truth, how the scriptures, how Jesus has changed and impacted us, and whether that Jesus is, real, is as real and transformative as we claim to be. Maybe for some of you this morning, though, you're wanting to do some core strengthening. Maybe you're beginning to realize, maybe my core isn't as strong as, as, as it needs to be. Maybe there's circumstances in your life that are really causing you to question uh, and really have some pretty serious doubts about who God is and the truths of Scripture. I want to mention a, a conference that's happening in a couple of weeks. It's called the Be Ready Conference. It's, just a, it's a conference on apologetics. It's happening online. It's October 2nd and 3rd. But it's a conference that... that I believe it has an opportunity to strengthen your understanding of biblical truths so that it can shape how we live and how you and I might be able to engage with others. Now, for some of you, though, you're, maybe you're thinking, you know what, I have no interest in sitting in front of a computer any more than I already do. Can I encourage you to do this instead? Pull out your Bible and open it to Matthew chapter 5. We, we read the last portion of Scripture from Matthew 7. But start at the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Some of us might be tempted just to plow through the whole, the whole thing, chapters 5, 6, and 7. But I want to, what I would encourage you to do this instead. Read two verses, or 30 seconds, whatever you prefer, just two verses. And ask yourself this question. What is this scripture telling me to do? And then do it. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't, don't make it so it has to be this big thing. Just ask yourself, okay, I just read these two verses. What is this scripture telling me to do? And then do it. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up at this point. 
Because here's the thing. The truth of Scripture strengthens us. That's how we stand firm in the battle. It's not just about reading God's Word for reading's sake. It's about reading God's Word so that it transforms us and that we can stand firm in it. Make it a priority. It's the centerpiece from which everything else comes from as we enter into battle. If it's truth, it should be true in how it's lived out and experienced. Truth isn't a set of of rules or concepts or ideas or opinions or perspectives. But the truth is Jesus Christ. And truth sets us free to live life to its fullest because we know that God's truth is rooted in his love, his grace, his mercy, and his holiness. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for the opportunity that you give us to worship you. And Lord, we know that in many ways that, in every way, that your truth rules our lives. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to, 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 to build a foundation that is secure in you, Jesus. And Lord, we recognize that in each of our lives, there are circumstances, situations, things that, questions that, that sometimes de- call, that deviate us from our paths, from your path. So Lord, we, 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 we want to realign ourselves and, and secure ourselves to your foundation, secure ourselves to your truth, Jesus. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you give us hope. Jesus, I pray that you continue to, to uh, walk with each of us and that in spite of our circumstances, your truth reigns forever, Jesus, because you are real and you reign forever. I pray this in your name. Amen.